0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Good evening, and welcome to my Monday Twilight show with me, Hannah Wilson. Tonight, I'll be joined by Aaron King, and we're going to be talking about everything you need to know about school suspensions in 2023. So feel free to join in, ask your questions, we'll call in and join the chat.
2: Visit JohnCatBookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Bet UK is empowering the everyday wins, <laughs> cheeky grins, <laughs> big conversations, <laughs> budding aspirations. Our goal? to make EdTech accessible and teaching exceptional. Join the global education community on the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, as we make education better together. Ticket off your Christmas list today. Get your free ticket before the 13th of December deadline. Visit www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration.
1: And if you haven't done so already, do go get your Bet Conference ticket. I'm going to be there um as one of the Teacher Talk radio hosts. So do come find us uh, there and come have a chat to us if you're attending. Um, so, Aaron um, posted a little while ago um, a great thread on Twitter slash X, uh, whatever it is now, um, to all about the kind of the uh, Department of Education's data on school suspensions. Um, or exclusions, depends which uh, phrasing you use. Um, so I'm really intrigued to talk about this because it's not something that we've talked about in depth on Teacher Talk Radio. So I'm excited for that, like, this one. So just um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Uh, so, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Aaron King. Uh, my background uh, was originally primary school of teaching. Um, I had some really good results from some of the children with special educational needs, and I've moved into outreach work, uh, learning difficulties for autism. Um, and social, emotional, mental health. Um, and then that led me to uh, run um, resource provisions um, for a local authority. And then since then I've been working in, uh working with schools and that's to improve SEMD, uh, but also helping with uh, turnarounds of special schools when they get into, um
1: Which I imagine is a lot at the moment, um, especially kind of with this data. Um, and I, I think you you describe it really clearly and really easily for everyone to kind of digest, which is lovely. Um, but there's a real shock in the data in terms of, it. well, I suppose it's not a shock. We know it was going to rise over to COVID, but I don't think anyone was quite expecting it to rise this much.
3: Um, absolutely. So, so the trend has been afterwards for a number of years, from eh? around the middle of last decade, uh, we've seen an upward trend, but it seems to have uh, gone up particularly um shall play in this this last um, in the last data drop which uh, the data drop each July uh, the DfE published the suspension data for the previous year so there is a little bit of a time lag we're looking at the 21 22 data as the most recent um and yes, it, it, it has got up um, particularly noticeable in secondary schools uh, but also we've seen a rise in primary as well
1: and um and that was that was one of the things that you uh, pulled out the the rise between year 6 and year 7 um cuz obviously there's a slight little little rise as it goes through kind of primary school but it's it's still for the most part it's under 1% um across that and certainly in in the uh, 21 22 data it's under the 1%. There's a couple of higher ones um from 20 uh 17, 2018 um But then there's just this huge jump um, up to year seven um, and then it's it's a real significant jump to 2021 um, between kind of year six and year seven. I know there's a big shock to the system that they're going up to senior school and they've got kind of a lot of new routines and everything to kind of take on board, but it seems like a, a really quite significant rise.
3: And the, the the gap has increased between year six and year seven as well. So, um, at, at the start of the period, it started rising. We might might see that three times as many year sevens were excluded as uh, or suspended by as as much as year six. Uh, whereas now we're seeing that that's risen to about four and a half times um, as many year sevens as year sixes. And um, I, I think it's it's quite difficult to pin down to one reason uh, for, for why that is. We 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 could do with a, a great big mind map of reasons. However, um, the, the, there there are some factors such as in year six, it, it may well be that, that the, the staff have known that child for, for many many years. They they know what the child's triggers are, and they also know how to really well support that child. Um, and uh, it may well be that all the staff know that child as well. Particularly if you're thinking about one form for one point five form entry primary school, um, and the, the average size primary school in, in England is about two hundred seventy, two hundred eighty, And with that many children, if you've got a year six, who's been there all the way through, the chances are a fair proportion of your staff know who they are, and also um, ideas for supporting them well. Whereas then when you move into secondary school, the, the the average size of school increases markedly, and there will be many um, adults who, who have never met that child before, and therefore won't necessarily know the ins and outs and the subtleties how to well support them. Some people would say that in year six as well, uh, particularly in the last term, um, some of the activities and some of the way that the curriculum's adapted post-sats means that there, there are quite a lot of engaging things to do, and that may also be a factor. Um, but it's, it's difficult to pin it down to, to one, and I'm conscious I, I may well be listing and I might be listing for a long time, um, if I was to, uh, Give me perhaps all of the reasons why it might be. I,
1: I I just find it really interesting, especially like like you said. Is is that obviously that child's got kind of that sustained kind of uh, adult in their life in primary school? They generally have limited teachers. They have probably more contact with them, and they are going to know them better. There's there's less change. There's less triggers, and there's less kind of. Almost things for them to have to learn in terms of behaviour. Whereas I suppose when they go to secondary school, they've suddenly got so they can have five different teachers in one day, and then they've got to adjust to all those different kind of boundaries. Granted, a school is going to have a whole system, but every teacher is going to slightly differ in the way that they deliver it, and that's that's a lot of change that can kind of set, set off a lot of kind of anxiety and learning needs or not necessarily asking for help and then kind of bury themselves in it as well. Um, so I can really imagine it, it. that transition from year six to year seven is so difficult. And especially, I think, potentially, we're, I'm secondary, but, um, but I've got a son who's primary. So I, I certainly know in secondary, since COVID, the students haven't got the same level of social skills as well. There's a lot of Social anxiety. There's a lot of kind of. They're not necessarily as good at making friends and dealing with social situations. And there's almost we we've um, discussed it before that there's almost a slightly kind of juvenile nature. They're not kind of as mature in Year Seven as they had previously been prior to COVID. And potentially that's kind of they're actually we're actually essentially almost getting Year Sixes in Year Sevens. They're not quite. They've missed out on that learning and they've not developed in the same way
3: interesting. I, I think, yes, they have missed out on, uh, on some of the, the key aspects of learning. And I, am, I think that might take a while to feed its way through because it may well be that the current, for example, year three cohort. Um, it, we might see particularly deficits there where they missed key aspects of uh, earlier's foundation stage in year one. But to go back to the year sevens and how, how you're experiencing them, I think there's also a, a question not just about what they missed in school, but also what they missed beyond school. And so um, you will, you would find kids, for example, going on Cub Camp, but they didn't happen in COVID. And in terms of independence and growing up and being away from mum and dad and making friends, um, in the sort of time sliding down a great big polythene sheet that's got so um, uh, big balls on it yeah. in the slip side, that's actually a wonderful experience. And what it does is it gives you, it gives you a shared experience with others that you'd always be able to talk about and and friendships often form because we've got a shared interest or shared experiences. And some of those couldn't happen because of the restrictions, the rule of six. Um, and so we, we're limited from the things that didn't happen in school as well. I think as well, we, we've, there is a genuine question to ask about some of the nature of children's interaction, um, as they get to nine, 10, 11 years old and, and how well the the technology replaces the face-to-face interaction, because we know that, I mean, it's been happening for a while. You may well remember when primary schools were getting anxious because their year fives now had Facebook accounts and it's 13th Facebook, and that was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but but the the march of the social media and the access to social media and technology has continued and has and it will continue forward. And if you are communicating through social media, we we don't get the non-verbal communication. We don't get the paraverbal communication. What we just get is the words, um, and that's not the that's that's that just the words, and not all the skills that needs to be successful in secondary school, and also successful beyond that as we move into the workplace.
1: I completely agree. And I I wonder, especially whether it's the suspensions and expulsions and things, they're they're quite severe behaviours in order for that to happen generally. Um, And and we've certainly noticed, I think, especially certain children that potentially came from a home that doesn't necessarily have good behaviour, good role models, good articulation, didn't necessarily kind of pressure them into doing the work and they were just allowed to Potentially play games or be on social media that was far beyond their age. We are now kind of seeing that impact. I know certainly for us, we've said like kind of that some of the I've got one year seven who's bold in thinking like he's out of Peaky Blinders, and I think within the first one of my first lessons, he dropped Andrew Tate's name. Um, And for me, I'm like, gosh, eleven to know who he is is quite astounding. Um, So that I think they're. What they've been exposed to, especially with this extra time at home, is is actually going to have a follow-on effect.
3: I mean, so it's a very interesting point, by Andrew Sheish. I think that there is a there is a genuine question of of how what is the social media uh, the, the the algorithm seems uh, to push things that are bad news and push things to make people angry or provoke extremes of response. And uh, Andrew Tate. Um, if I understand right from, I mean, I don't follow him, um, my, myself, but some of the things I've read, his model was around, of uh, pump things out that a third of people like, and two thirds of people dislike. And then the algorithms will do some of the work for you because of get angry people and people who are, who are your followers arguing with each other. And, um, and I think that people listening could probably think of other people who use social media in that way, um almost like antagonists um, who who uh, yeah. create um polemics are black and white that, that that we are one or the other and and indeed I, I I might even posit that some of the behavior debate in social media can can unfortunately fall into a black and white category of people who think that school should be super strict and people who take a nurturing approach but I'm not sure that that's actually helpful because because I dare say even in the strictest schools, there are still people in there who are, who are building relationships with students and preventing exclusions rather than it just being a simple us and them situation. So I think we take care to not, um, not misdescribe schools that are very strict in, in a very black and white way, but equally, I I feel we should be very careful about, um, uh, misdescribing or, or. Misappropriating intentions or behaviours onto people who take a more trauma-informed approach, because I think in in a trauma-informed approach, um, school, then I dare say they will still have suspensions or um, exclusions um, every so often. Um, so it's it is an either-or if behaviour. We went from Andrew Tate to uh, exclusions there, didn't we?
1: <laughs> but but I think you're right. There is that kind of. Um, there is that going to be that repercussion of what these have been exposed to. They, they are going to have that trauma almost from um, COVID. Um, you are coming across a little bit um, quiet and you've gone a little bit quieter. I'm just going to um, play the news because it's been a, a very interesting week in terms of teaching. Um, if you can just kind of restart the app and, and try again, then hopefully we'll get you a little bit um, clearer. So um, I'm just going to play the news and we'll come back to talking more about suspensions.
2: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit JohnCatBookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Ed UK is empowering the everyday wins. Cheeky grins. (laughs) Big conversations. Budding aspirations. Our goal? To make edtech accessible and teaching exceptional. Join the global education community on the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, as we make education better together. Ticket off your Christmas list today. Get your free ticket before the 13th of December deadline. Visit www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk
0: Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
4: The inquest into the death of Head Teacher Ruth Perry has ruled that an Ofsted inspection contributed because it lacked fairness, respect and sensitivity and was, at times, rude and intimidating. These are the comments from the senior coroner, Heidi Connor, as reported on the BBC News website. Mrs. Connor went on to express concern about the impact the inspection system can have on school leaders. This is the first time Ofsted has been listed as a contributing factor in the death of a head teacher. The coroner also issued a Prevention of Future Death Notice, a report that aims to stop similar situations arising again. Anyone who gets such a notice has 56 days to say what they plan to do to mitigate the chances of deaths happening. Education unions, Ofsted Chief Inspector Amanda Spielman, and Education Secretary Gillian Keegan have all released statements following the inquest. These can be found across media outlets. A statement by Mrs Perry's sister, Professor Julia Waters, made it clear that this situation must never be allowed to happen again, but that Ruth was a much more than a victim. She was a sister, a wife, and a mother. The Programme for International Student Assessment, or PISA, has released its latest findings. Making the headlines amongst the data was a figure of 11% of teens in the UK who were skipping or missing a meal at least once a week as a result of poverty. The average was 8%, although it rose to 13% in the USA and to 19% in Turkey. The report makes the link between missing meals and less effective learning. Every four years, PISA compares 15-year-olds reading, science and maths levels across 81 countries. The director of the project described the UK as being in a fairly good spot, with improvements in reading and maths, although there was a decline in science. Amongst the four home nations, England performed the highest across all three subjects, although the average maths score fell for all UK nations. The gap in results between UK nations has widened, with Wales recording its worst results so far, according to the BBC. The Welsh Education Minister said Covid-19 had derailed improvement. Northern Ireland scored higher than Scotland in maths and science, but Scotland did better in reading. The wellbeing survey is the first of its kind, with the head of research expressing surprise that so many pupils in a supposedly wealthy country are missing meals due to food poverty. Another survey, this time by the British Council, has also seen its results released. They asked just over 2,000 pupils at the end of their first year of secondary, from across the UK, about modern foreign languages. The results showed that only 20% planned to study a language at GCSE. The numbers of pupils taking modern foreign languages has been in decline in recent years. While 73% of those taking part in the survey said children should have the chance to learn a language, 46% said they enjoyed language learning. More than one in four said that they did not plan to take the subject at GCSE level or beyond. Nearly nine out of ten said they did not think it was very likely that language would be necessary for their future career. Finally, writer and poet Benjamin Zephaniah passed away on the 7th of December at the age of 65. He had been diagnosed with a brain tumor eight weeks ago. Zephaniah had 14 poetry collections and 5 novels published over the years. He openly discussed his difficulties with learning to read and write, leaving school at 13 and his diagnosis of dyslexia. His first book was published in 1980 and he described himself as an angry young man who had an outlet through writing. He said that using writing as expression had saved his life. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
1: <laughs> Hello. Can you? How how are the new headphones?
3: Let's try them now. Can you hear me? okay?
1: Oh, that's much better. That's brilliant. Uh, we we can we can sort out the earlier stuff and make it a bit louder. That's, that's we can hear you a bit clearer. Um, I was going to go back to the kind of the percentages of pupils with their, at least one suspension. Um, I think I think nobody will be surprised that year nines and tens uh, are the higher. Uh, ones. I think I think personally, everyone finds year nine a little bit of that difficult year that they kind of know in their head, kind of what their options are um, and what they're going to pick and they kind of drop off in other subjects and then their kind of behavior uh, deteriorates a little bit. And same with your tens. I think you tend, they make their option choice and actually some of them struggle with the jump up to kind of GCSE level and therefore kind of start acting out that way. Um, and then it drops really quite far down to, to year 11, which I wasn't kind of expecting. But I'm guessing maybe all the, the issue children have potentially been removed in year 10 by that
3: point. So um, that, that may well be a um, possibility, yes, that um, that other pupils have been ex, um, excluded and so aren't in school. I think another thing to, that's a genuine point, though, is that the year, year 11s aren't in for as many days of the year. Um, because the, uh, from when the exams start, the years yes, aren't around as much. And if you're not around as much, it's harder to get excluded or suspended as we found out in COVID time. So it would be really interesting to see if we could multiply that proportionately to see what it would be like if we assumed the year 11s were there or year. I think it may well be a little bit lower because the other factor is that sometimes you'll have students who will, who will think, ah, it's now time to knuckle down. And so the some of the people who might have been a bit more lively in year nine and year 10 um, may well have settled down in year 11. I think what would be really interesting as well, um, and you might have a, an insight on that, um, in the past week we did have um, some schools that started GCSEs in year nine. Um, and based on what you said about year nine now, I'd be interested if 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 your school did that and whether or not you, your perception is that year nines uh, when when GCSE started in Year Nine, and so it it, it wasn't a, that the year where the new things had dropped. If if things were different, there with teaching Year nine.
1: Oh, potentially. I I I haven't taught in a school that does Year Nine. I've had some where at the end of the year, once they pick their option, they like start it early, so they start it halfway through the year, and certainly it's better behaviour then because they're more engaged because they're doing the subjects that they like. So once the year 11s kind of leave they change the timetable so year 9 start their options then so it kind of gets rid of that kind of change in terms of when they do and certainly the behaviors is it was better when they did that to when we didn't um we we don't do that we we stopped doing that um with covid so it's interesting from that point of view yeah whether whether what the kind of certainly looking back at it because i know it's certainly been the last few years when there was the change in the Ofsted curriculum that they kind of frowned upon the 3 year GCSE um, i'm trying to think what year that would have been whether it, it probably is that year looking at the table where it kind of was pretty similar year on year that might have been from um from that from them staying with them um but it is quite a, it's, it's it is it is that i'm i'm still in shock of that kind of jump in from year 6 to year 7 um but again it is it is quite um it, do, it does really really drop um obviously when they were in covid but year 7 seems to drop a lot more um down but i guess that's because they've gone home and they're kind of back to kind of learning in a in a similar way to what they were used to in year 6 um potentially at that point and then it's and then as they come back into school, it's then risen up a lot um more um with them.
3: That's definitely possible. I, I also wonder if there was um maybe an enhanced sympathy compound for some of the year sevens as well. Yes. Um given that they'd they'd had a, a very disrupted year six, whether or not maybe um adjust different adjustments or um, a little bit more time and patience um uh, was was given um and, and I've got no evidence for that it, it, it's it's a genuine question um whether or not we, we we did things slightly different for that cohort of year sevens um, and then that was seen um in in that in that drop for covid that was particularly marked
1: because i I've, I've, I find that really interesting as in terms of what it takes for a school to suspend a child um and kind of what and how many times a kid has to do something before they're um expelled um or or managed moved. It, we said we were talking about it um on the weekly review show that it seems to be that they're given kind of way more chances than they were, but they seem to still have quite a lot of suspensions to kind of show that they're acting to the behavior, but they do seem to kind of get a few more chances.
3: Um, So I think it's fair to say that different schools have a different line in the sand for where um, suspension happens. Um, And I think therefore it's probably the same for uh, exclusions, although not run the same depth of data for exclusions. So I think. It, it, it would be an interesting university study um to try and look at uh, try and try and iron out all the different factors and and look at um how how different schools where where they draw the line how that affects on outcomes for sixteen year olds, eighteen year olds and twenty one year olds, which is obviously quite a lengthy study because we'd need ten years to do it um and, and a significant amount of money. But I would be very interested in that. Um, I think if we if we also st- still think about secondary school, I I, I have a, a genuine question over the um, the decisions that were made over um, equivalent. And so, if we think back to the to the uh, late noughties, um we we had different uh, qualifications that were worth half a GCSE or full GCSE, um, and. The, 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 the slightly more free freedom that was going on there, and this was pre EBAC as well, meant that some schools did diversify their curriculum. And so you would see schools that had um, a hair salon um, by the entrance to the car park, uh, or uh, there was motor vehicle engineering um, around the back of school. And when we think about year nine and year 10. For some of those year nines and year tens, that was that could be very effective at, at engaging them in that they, they'd kind of, in their own mind, some of them made up the mind that they probably didn't want to speak Spanish. And they did see the benefit of motor vehicle engineering because they were going to drive a car, come what may, and they could also see that there was a job in it. Uh, and health and social care uh, in key stage four would be another example of that, that when when the equivalents, um, it, it didn't work in the league tables anymore. And when the EBAC uh, was more focused on academic subjects, then, uh, then, then the hair, hair and beauty, the health and social care, and the, the medical engineering, they kind of disappeared within a year. Uh, which I think, in terms of some of our more vulnerable learners, uh, I, I, I feel a sadness for that because I feel that that was something that it was, a, was a success story unfortunately i'm i'm not sure if uh, if um i'm not sure if if every school played fair unfortunately um and i'm not sure if there might have been some gaming in terms of equivalent um and so i can see why the government might have wanted to uh, respond and end that kind of gaming of the system but nevertheless um by by the way that we responded even though i can see the benefits to um the uh the choices that made—it's—it's it's too there's, there's two sides to the argument. I, I kind of feel that we we did we did lose um, something that was really good in secondary education.
1: It's—it's it's that thing, is it? Like GCSEs aren't going to be for everybody, and it's having that option and ha- finding that place where students can succeed. So they're having successes somewhere, because I think that's the issue with the fact that these suspensions increase as they get older those students that are really struggling to access education because they've had learning difficulties or they're not doing the homework at home, they're not getting support, they've got their carers at home, they're, they've they not got the capacity to kind of keep up with school and they're getting further and further behind. And I think that's the issue with why it's getting bigger is that obviously with COVID, there's the kids that did the learning at school and the kids that didn't. And now they're back at school. That gap is kind of massively increasing. The kids that did the learning can just fly and and develop, whereas the kids that didn't are now really behind their peers and and are struggling. Not only with that, but also they've got all these additional mental health issues that seem to have come along with COVID. Um, that these students are just really struggling, and I think that's the thing they're struggling to regulate themselves and they're struggling to regulate their emotions and and what they did. Um, my previous show was on um, children's mental health, and, and the statistics in that is quite shocking. That it's kind of one in third. Uh, I think it's one in uh, thirty students self harm. So that's that's like um, quite a, like one in every class. It's quite a lot in in the school, and it's that's quite for me. It was quite shocking. I think I think it's even more than that that have kind of rate if you add them all up together. Under seventeen, so I think it works out to about three or four per class. So and um, it's there's just so many more mental health issues in school, and they don't know how to regulate it because that's the thing that's going to get them the suspension. Is when they lash out, when they're violent, when they swear. They're they're the things that are going to have to have that suspension. They're going to have to have that consequence, and they just don't seem to be able to regulate that quite as much as they could before. I certainly feel like. Um, from the news, from what's been said on previous shows, there seems to be a rise in that kind of attitude, and especially we have talked about it a lot on Teacher Talk Radio. The, the violence towards teachers um, is certainly on the rise across schools, and it just seems that this kind of thing wasn't happening before. So it's it's quite it's easy to say it was COVID, but it's like that seems to be this big trigger that seems to have changed education.
3: Um, so when I went with um, my colleagues in special schools, uh, and they asked me, um, "Well, if we just did this, uh, would 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 everything be okay?" And and my answer is uh, sometimes the, the simpler the answer, the more likely it is to be wrong or incomplete. And I think if we if we go well, COVID's had such an impact and leave it at that, then we we we're, we're, we're giving ourselves an incomplete answer. So. Uh, I, I agree that COVID's had an impact with you, and I think in terms of uh, the concerns over the the um, the gap in inequality, I think that there's a legitimate concern there as well. Um, I'll, uh, but I think for us to succeed for the for the children in our care, children, young people in our care, uh, it's really important that we keep looking further and keep looking harder and scrutinising down when we think about um, uh, the violence. Um, aspect that you that you raise, so um, I I haven't run the permanent exclusion data for this year, but certainly for last year, um, the 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 most common reason for permanent exclusion from a primary school was violence against an adult, um, and that was more than a quarter. Uh, and it's followed by persistent disruptive behaviour. But when we look to the secondary schools, um, the The physical assault against adult was down as the the sixth most common reason, so um, I'm not denying it might be rising, but just in terms of how pupils get permanently excluded. um, Do you want to have a guess at what the most common reason was?
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, Would swearing be up there?
3: Um, So verbal abuse um, is is above physical assault, yeah. And I think that the top answer does probably include a bit of swearing, yeah. So it's uh, it's the category Persistent Disruptive Behaviour. Yeah. So, and and that's about a third of pupils in in 2021, and what that leads you to to wonder is if some of the permanent exclusions are because pupils have kind of reached the end of the line, and that they've had suspension, 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 and that the schooler are struggling to find other ways to 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 respond other than say it's a term to exclusion. Um, for just for a little bit of completeness, complete the, the the second most common reason in secondary was uh, physical assault against a pupil, and then after that it was um, use or threat of um, of of a weapon or a banned item. But I think that's probably more likely going to be weapons um, rather than too many banned items or the banned items could could include uh, some things um that any school could choose because any school can choose the banned items but there is a different category for for drugs and alcohol so it's um it it isn't that 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 doesn't include uh, most of the drug ones
1: so that's quite interesting and and because you were saying about um kind of like the different um kind of suspensions uh, within schools as well because obviously special school suspensions. Um, they're obviously that they've got a higher boy ratio, so eighty-eight percent of males kind of are suspended from special school suspensions. Um, but most of them with SEMH um, issues are the ones that are getting predominantly suspended. So it seems to be that if if you're if you're a male, you're far more likely to end up in a special school from being suspended, and then if if you're a male with SEMH issues and S E N D issues, you're far more likely as well.
3: Um yes. That that's right. Um so we we males are overrepresented in special schools, you're quite correct. Um and then when we think about um reasons for for children getting suspended and and things like violence, um my experience tells me that that It it tends to be more males who who present with violence when they're aged 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, rather than a girl.
1: Oh, I think we've lost you. You've
3: gone a bit quiet. Uh, Who are violent. Well, okay, I do big fun. Um, I was just saying, through the years I've worked in special schools, I haven't come across that many girls who have presented as violent. Um and if uh and where where I found girls have have um had more difficulties was sometimes the, the relationships and the social media uh, issues that then come into school um and you have um people who are distraught over some of the things that have gone on or have been shared. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, it, you're just a little bit quiet. Okay, I will do my best to speak up. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> Thank
3: you. So, so there, there is a there is a boy girl issue, and and uh, in primary, um, boys are um, the boys make up a bigger chunk as well. So it's it's a similar ratio of I think about eight eighty five to fifteen percent boy to girl in primary, but then it jumps in secondary. Um, and, I, and I do wonder if that's sometimes due to the nature of, of of how girls can slip up so that the social media stuff does come in um, and, uh, and so we, we have that as a factor. But also um, there are some schools where they have quite tight uh, rules, which mean that whether you're a boy or a girl, you can fall foul of the rules, for example, on uniform.
1: Yeah, I was going to say uniform. I think is is a big one for us in terms of of girls that just defiantly don't want to um, kind of follow the rules. It's not necessarily enough to get them suspended, but certainly that I find that a lot of them would rather take the hit than than follow the the rule and take the detention, which is quite an interesting trend. But certainly, I've seen the last few years our our girls getting suspended. In, certainly, in my setting, is definitely increasing. I've never, we even t- talk about it as a school that last year was our first year that we've really had problematic girls that have, that have, normally it's always the boys, but we seem to have had quite an even number of, of kind of girls and boys that are, I, I always like to say it's like the, the 5% of the school, every school's got them, those kind of 5% of kids that you are, are kind of always pushing the boundaries but certainly in in the last few years and especially i think it even follows through to our um some of not as many this year but there are certainly a few um kind of girls that will just dodge lessons will um we call them the walkers they try and hide from lessons and and that kind of thing that we would not really had before certainly it seems to be more of a post covid thing
3: so that's really interesting and and i think that that throws up an extra challenge in that Sometimes, if if they're presenting in slightly different ways to the to the boy, how the boys traditionally did, there's a there's a genuine question about how skilled we are and how sharp we are at dealing with those things. I, as having worked in, in special, I, I I sometimes feel myself um really um, anxious that I'm not doing it right, um or or ch- uh, chastising myself mentally that I could have done better. When working with girls, because um, when when, when you're working special, there are, there are lots of things that just become really easy because you've had so many so much practice at it. But then when you get some of the, the girls who are throwing sass at you in a way that boys don't, for example, and um, I find I can find that quite challenging to deal with. And um, I, I, I hope no girls who I work with listening, but it pushes my buttons sometimes. Um, and if you are listening you need to forget that cuz i don't want you to then use that against <laughs> um, and and so the, 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 i think it's about having uh, being very open about what what we find challenging and how we find it challenging and talking it through and by talking it through we can pick up tips from each other uh, but also sometimes just talking it through helps you unload at the end of the day and um, because sometimes when when you've had a, a difficult situation where you felt a little bit out of control, where you felt we didn't quite have the skills to deal with this. Um, it, it's important that you that you share that and offload that so that you're not taking it home. Uh, and And by sharing it, then it also means that you're more able to move on and have a fresh start when you see that student next time.
1: I find it easier almost to kind of, boys just seem to not think and just do a stupid thing and then they kind of, oh, I've done a stupid thing and then they kind of don't generally repeat it. Whereas I find girls kind of think, have thought it through and will do it and they're fully aware of the consequences and they'll do it again as well. Like I think the repeated behavior um, I'm seeing certainly more with the girls um, than boys. So it will be interesting to see. I think the girls is going to rise over the next few years and it um, won't be as as kind of um one-sided, I don't think. I don't know. I like, I like trying to predict these things and seeing where things are going to go.
3: So I think we've we've, so we've talked about boys and girls and and, and we've we've used some sh- slight shortcuts there in terms of the presentation and, and, and understandably and 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 I hear what you say about some some of the more um some of the ways that that, that sometimes girls get into trouble that take a lot longer to unpick and try and understand what happened. And end up with you asking six different people what went on and getting maybe four different stories. Um, I think another relevant group um, that, that I think is interesting to to think about is pupils who are LGBTQ plus, uh, and I would include pupils who don't actually know um, yet that because they're not, they're either not out or they've not necessarily realised themselves. Uh, and I think that there is a, a a small but interesting cohort that we, we might be able to look back on in twenty years' time and and have a better idea of what was going on. But I think there's a, a, an interesting cohort of, of pupils who um, who because um, they they haven't quite accepted, or because sometimes of home influences or other influences in schools, um, some of those peoples um, I've certainly seen have presented with some quite um, intense anger sometimes or frustration, um, and th- there was a story of one one special school in in the north of England um, where there was there was a, a little clique of of uh, gay boys in like year eight, year nine, year ten, um, and I, I genuinely asked the question. Kind of well that that was disproportionate Why was that and I, and I do wonder if if there was something lacking back there so this was probably about eight nine years ago if there was something lacking at the time in terms of RSE and acceptance and inclusion and whether or not we've we've kind of fully filled that gap, I suspect it's always going to be a bit of work in progress, but equally um I do think we have made a lot of progress in terms of uh, inclusive schools. And so now, for example, when I'm in primary schools, I will, I will see, for example, people wearing uh, a pride badge during pride month, which if I think 15 years ago, we have seen that, well, probably not. And, and why is a badge important? Well, people could say it's tokenistic, it's virtue signaling, but actually if you're that, if you're that nine-year-old boy, then actually that can be something really important to you because that shows that the people who are in charge accept who i am so um i think there's there's an interesting question there but again it would need a university and probably about uh, a 10-year <laughs> study
1: and then some no i i completely agree there's um there's certainly some students that they're they're going through that transition in their life and they've got so much to work out and also they've got to navigate kind of school life and but more so their social life and kind of Not knowing themselves, but they've got to almost present themselves to the teachers and the students. And um, I've certainly had issues with students using dead names and things like that, and the emotional kind of um, struggle that that can cause afterwards. And and it is like you said that they they do sometimes need that outlet, and they haven't quite managed it. Our school have a great counseling program that kind of really support them, and um, I love the fact that. I'm an art teacher, so a lot of them will I end up with the majority of them in my classes because they have a free reign to kind of express themselves. And I like watching them slowly as they develop through school kind of find out who they were. And I actually had one one of my trans students actually went on to um the voice kids at Christmas and got picked by Will I Am and, and got through. So to have her as this kind of role model within our school of what was kind of normal. Um, just showed everyone how, how it should be. like it shouldn't be any different. There there's, doesn't need to be all this other side to it. But certainly, I think those those kids that don't agree with it and the kids that are going through it, there's certainly that kind of dynamic clashes. And then that can quite often cause, like you said, that aggressive kind of thing that's going to hit those those things on that list that are going to cause them to get those suspensions. But it might just be a one off. But because of the the fueling on the fire of that situation, um, it would be interesting to see kind of how many where the suspensions fall in terms of that respect. Do they what what caused the 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 kind of anger or the inappropriate language? Was it kind of fallout from friends or was it kind of reaction to like feeling that a teacher was unjust or and also kind of always look it'd be really interesting to well this would be an even longer study to know what happened to that kid that day like did they react badly to that teacher because they just had somebody shouted them at home and they had a really bad morning or was it because they had an argument with their friend at break I think there's so many aspects to it especially that kind of like that one-off suspension that could be that random thing but for the more regular ones it certainly can be down to to other aspects and i guess their their home life and their kind of makeup can be quite um interesting cuz cuz it even goes into cuz it's, it's a very detailed report um it obviously goes on to about the children's heritage obviously um at the top you've got white uh, gypsy roma and white travel or irish heritage then it goes to black caribbean mixed Black Caribbean, black other, um, white and black African, white Irish, black African, white British, mixed other, Asian, mixed white and Asian. And then um it goes down further. So it's quite interesting in that in that respect. I'm I'm I was um married into a gypsy family. So um, although they had left, but a lot of his family was still um in. So I know quite a bit of the other side to that. So it's certainly um, has an impact, doesn't it? As in where what where these students come from and what their home life is like.
3: So yes, it does. Um, so with the um the the, the Gypsy Roma group, um, there there was a study that Ofsted did um in the mid to late nineties, identifying the issues, the extra barriers that they faced. Uh, and I suppose it's it feels a little bit a shame that twenty years later, or, or even more. That, that that is still uh, still an issue of, uh, of the, that we're facing. Um, I think if we if we delve down into some of the issues that the, the Ofsted found, um, then what we can see is we can see that you know if if you go if you go off traveling, then you're missing a whole bunch of school. When you come back, some of your mates have made new friends, so there can be an increased social isolation there. But also you've missed a whole chunk of learning. Uh, and so now school is harder for you. School is more frustrating, uh, and so you you try to catch up, um, and and that can be very very difficult. I think one of the interesting things as well is um, is to do with perhaps the the value placed uh, by someone in that community on uh, on education, uh, because we we do sometimes see that some of the uh, children are pulled out of school for year seven onwards. And uh, and in being classed as home educated, but um, I I don't have any data on on how well that goes. But but the the, the the attendance at secondary school can can be not there. Is that is that something that that you've seen from from lived experience, from, from the wider community, from your partner?
1: Yeah, um, certainly from. Um... His his family there's there's not such a kind of emphasis on education and it is that kind of moving. Um, I know he he moved in the middle of his GCSEs to the other side of the country and they had different syllabuses and he he was fairly intelligent but um, with the kind of change in different um, exam boards and things like that he just he just didn't do as well as he would have done if he was sat in one place. Um, But he was a child that liked to read, so he he. Love to bury himself in a book, whereas a lot of others kind of didn't have that kind of background. That it, and, and I think also they're very much into f- fighting is is for fun. Uh, it's a sport. It's it's what they all do and, and like to do, and therefore that kind of trick can trickle into school. That it's not this kind of taboo thing to do. It's quite a normal thing to kind of that's what happens when you get upset or. Uh, you, you have an issue with someone, you spar it out. So that kind of trickles into into school a bit as well. And I think sometimes that kind of communication through the generations that the parents uh, potentially didn't have a very good school life, didn't necessarily, weren't in education for very long, they tend to pull them out quite young. And then that kind of filters through that you've got parents at home, that can't necessarily read or write themselves, so therefore aren't able to help kind of their children, and it kind of trickles down as well.
3: Um, so absolutely, and, and, and when I was speaking before, I was, I was perhaps focusing a little bit more on the on the settled communities rather than the communities that, that are continually troubling, but you, you make a very good point there. I think um, when when we then think about, uh, as, as a teacher, when a new child comes into your class, um, do you manage their... Uh, dysregulation, as well as you do the pupils who are already in your class. Well, arguably, probably not because you don't know them as well, and so you don't uh, know what the best ways to tweak things to support them are. Uh, and so, if if uh, if there's children or young people who are who are travelling um, cons- constantly, then they get that over and over again, and and so you can see how if that was happening 20 years ago that. Some of the parents did have a bad experience of school because they went to a new school, didn't know the teacher, teacher didn't really know them, uh, and things didn't go well. Um, I think um, that comes to the the role of particularly in primary, where where the par- if there's a parent support worker in school, where their role becomes particularly valuable in in building relationships and and breaking down barriers. Uh, for, for parents to come into school and for parents to see school in, in a slightly more positive way, and I think that's I think it's fair to say that for some families that can be really really difficult to achieve uh, because some of those um, some of those apprehensions over school uh, and the kind of authority that it can present that they can be they can quite long held and quite embedded views within maybe not just one generation but sometimes two or more generations of the family.
1: And and the other um, big glaring thing with this report is the impact on kids with SEND on suspensions. And obviously, it does say that it, it's kind of pretty similar between SEND students and and those with HE, HECP. So those that just have support, because um, we'll, the issue is that we've got a lot of kids that are on on our list, but they're taking kind of three years to get diagnosis and and things. So in in the Kind of NHS being backed up, we're getting a lot more kind of later diagnosis than we previously would have. But um, it's it's, and I I think the primary one is obviously quite glaring. So it's one in four hundred and seventy six students would be suspended if they they don't have SEND, whereas students that have SEND is one in thirty, and then in secondary school it's one in sixteen who don't have SEND, and then one in eight students who do have SEND, so that's that's quite, especially primary school, like you're instantly saying that your chances of being suspended are so much higher if you have a learning need.
3: Um, yes, it's 15 times higher as an L, or slightly slightly more than 15 times uh, the t- uh, more kids in primary with SEND get excluded, suspended than than without SEND. Um, Whereas in secondary, it's more equitable, Um, although it's more equitable in a way that everyone gets suspended a little bit more, which is an unfortunate way of it being slightly more equitable. Um, So it it is very, very marked. I'd like to say I had a a really good pithy answer to explain it. Um, I I, I find it a sadness, and, and I suppose then I'd like to think about, well, what could we do to make it better? Um, and and I think it's it's it, it comes to early intervention um, and and how can we identify SEND and, and respond to that sooner? Um, and and some of that is on the just nuts and bolts level, and and some of that is on maybe on the leadership level, but on the nuts and bolts in primary school, when 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 people are doing gate duty, for example, which is something that I think. Um some schools have done forever, but not many schools have done forever. But when COVID happened, a lot more schools started doing gate duty. Uh, and so they, they're seeing the the two-year-old in the pram and some some schools where they're, they're doing really well, that the, the leaders or the parent workers who's on the gate, um, or all the teachers, that they're sticking their head in the pram and they're, they're talking to the parents, they're asking questions about what they can do and whether they can meet the milestones and whether they've had the health visitor and, and things like that. And also about how the parent's getting on, because it can be difficult if you've got, for example, three kids under five, that can be really hard work if, if, uh, if, they all, if they're all unsettled at the same time. Um, and so asking how the parent is and how the parent mental health as well um, on the gate, because it's, it's not seen as you've got to come in for a meeting, parents come past and a lot of the time it's just a hello and a smile. So, I think if if I had, um, I suppose, a magic wand, I would keep that forever. Um, that 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 chance to put the head in the trap. But then, I think maybe in primary school, um, a, a a slight regret that I might have in terms of of the curriculum reforms that we've had more recently is that sometimes. We, we may have put pupils back into classes to study the broad and balanced curriculum when maybe their their long-term outcomes might be better supported by doing the interventions that we had before. And whether or not we may have narrowed down some of the interventions to give them access to the broad and balanced curriculum, which I can see is a very well-intended idea. But for some of the more vulnerable pupils who are the ones who are, who are up higher risk of exclusion. I do wonder whether social skills and emotion regulation work at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old might have more value for them in the longer term than than some of the content in in the in the other subjects. And that's not me saying that history is not valuable or MFL is not valuable. That's not the case. But it's what 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 is going to have best impact. Because if we Turn the clock forward even further, and we think about that eight-year-old when they are twenty-two, twenty-three years old. Well, maybe let's take a different way. Let's let's go to um Leeds Magistrate Court or or uh, Nottingham Magistrates Court and see and look at the people who are there um up for crimes who are 20, 21, 22 years old, and then let's track back and ask ourselves. How might we have done things differently to have tried to have changed that person's life course? And I'm not saying it'd be possible to change everyone's life course, course not. But I do wonder if some of that early intervention work in primary might give some of those 20, 21, 22 year olds a, a better chance at life and, um, reduce the risk of them, um, um, committing crime which is a very long-term objective, of course, isn't it? Because in primary schools, we don't normally think about a 14-year plan.
1: But I'm I'm curious now, I I watched a documentary on, I think it was on Netflix, it was a long time ago. I think it was a COVID boredom watch, but actually it was quite interesting. It was all about kind of bias in the courts that actually um, if you're a a white female, you're likely to get um, kind of a lower sentence um, than say a, a black male and it was all about kind of they put the same people to um very similar juries and they explained their story and it was all the exact same story but it was it was all about the un un um what's it called that your unconscious bias that actually we they kind of gave people different sentences based on what they looked like i think the good looking guy apparently got the the lowest sentence of them all um so it was it's i wonder whether it's a bit like that we kind of we know these kids have got SCND, and we're kind of—that's that unconscious bias of of like we're not really seeing their behaviour for what it is, in terms of of their needs. We just see it as naughty behaviour, so therefore they're just getting punished because that's what has to be done because that's what they see. But actually, kind of if you kind of line it up with their their medical needs, actually their behaviour is perfectly in line with kind of how. They should be acting for somebody that's got that condition, Um, and and we kind of are expecting we're setting them boundaries that are too high. We're we're expecting them to behave a certain way, but it's that balance, isn't it? But also they can't, they shouldn't disrupt the learning of others, and but also you've got to kind of have that that everybody else in the class has got to understand their kind of learning. I think I I I think I've I've never been an I'm a celebrity get me out of here person, but um, watching Sam Thompson go on that and win it sorry spoiler for anybody who hasn't watched last night Um with so openly about his ADHD which he got diagnosed quite late and um I used to watch him quite back in the day on in Chelsea and I, I knew as a teacher instantly that, that he had ADHD just from watching him on the show so for me it was really shocking that he only got diagnosed a couple of years ago because I was like I would have guaranteed that child would have been diagnosed at school surely Um but it's, it is that kind of some ki- people just can't help their their different diagnoses and are is education adapting enough for it or is this kind of slightly more stricter kind of areas where kind of they're getting punished more for for something that's not really it's it's their uh, makeup really
3: so um a few things to unpick un- there uh, see for for people to SEND, yes, boundaries are important, um, and uh, it, it's it's a kind thing to provide boundaries uh, because uh, sooner or later those those children are going to be adults, and uh, it's important to know that there are boundaries, understand how they can they can navigate life w- within certain social rules that, that we have in society. Uh, in terms of unconscious bias. I think it's a very, very important point to make there, and it's something that, that that I don't hear talked about very often in schools. And I think it's also fair to assume that we all have unconscious bias, um, and uh, we, we'd all like to think that we don't. And and sometimes when we we use terms like bias or prejudice, we we might we might think about the the protected characteristics of the Equality Act, but our bias doesn't have to be that. So, for example. Um, I think I have a bias towards um, paramedics and firefighters. I think to myself, you know, when when everyone else is fleeing from danger, they're running into it. Any shift could be the next Bradford Stadium fire or the next um, 2005 London bombings for them. And they're, they're, they're constantly doing things that, that I would never seek to do. And so for me, I perhaps put them on a pedestal, but that can be an unconscious bias because Actually, that paramedic might be a bit of a um, might be a bit of a wazak, really. Um, so I shouldn't I shouldn't have the bias that they're going to be that they're an awesome, incredible person um, necessarily, even though they clearly do things. They're brave, but I, I should make sure I'm evaluating that person as a person rather than who they are. So we we, we can have that, and sometimes a bias that's sometimes talked about that that people might have on, on as they're um, doing parents' evening, for example, is one about facial tattoos. Um, and does that affect how well that dad parent, for example? Well, not necessarily. It's just that we're perhaps not used to it. And, and sometimes you might might perceive facial tattoos uh, with, with an unconscious bias. So I think it's, it's a very valid thing to say. Then applying that to pupils with SEND might might some of us have some forms of unconscious bias? I think the answer is yes. Uh, in fact, Harvard have a, a really interesting study on unconscious bias that, that teachers can go on. I, I imagine you just Google Harvard unconscious bias study and it shows you a whole range of pictures and it asks you to select um, pictures and, and then it will it will give you an indication of, of whether or not you're as neutral as you believe you are or whether or not you might have some, some, um, some potential bias as well. So I recommend the the Harvard study for fun. Uh, it's it's, a, it's about five minutes of clicking different pictures, but you find it very interesting. And then the third thing to unpick. so you've talked about Sam Thompson and you'll have to forgive me i'm I'm not a big maiden Chelsea fan <laughs> and I'm, I'm, um and i'm I'm not a big I'm a celebrity fan either, but he you talked about him having ADHD. Um, and he's won, and I presume if he's won, he's he's come across quite well on, on, in the jungle, has he?
1: Yeah, he's he's just the only way to describe him is he's been an excitable puppy the whole way through, and he's like literally if he sees Anton Deck, he's like, oh my gosh, I love you, and then if he sees somebody else, he's like jumping on them and giving them hugs, and he, you can see that to begin with, people get like a little bit annoyed with him, but then they completely and utterly find him endearing and kind of. Fall in love with him. So, so, for me, I think it's been quite important because I have a little gaggle of kind of ADHD boys that um, that I have unconscious bias with, and I will defend um, too because uh, I think they're misjudged, um, and I think it's good for them to kind of see somebody in that situation and, and do well. And that's the thing. I've got like there's (laughs) some of them listen to this show, so um, they've been dying for a shout out. So here's the anonymous shout out for them. But I've got one kid uh, who's in my tutor group, so I know him very well because I spend every day with him. Um, But he has ADHD and he really struggles with it and he gets in trouble with it because if somebody talks behind him, he'll turn around and he just can't not engage in it. Um, But I know. The, uh, he's had massive anxiety he completely respects his mum and when he gets a debit and she brings him up on it at home he dreads coming to school because he doesn't want to get in trouble because he doesn't want his mum to be disappointed with him and have that conversation with her and it it's it's that he can't help it but he's desperate to he does want to do well and it's like I really I really want to champion him and I really want him to do well but i can see him falling into this little gap he's not he's he's he does get in trouble regularly and he's only a couple of steps away from it becoming more serious if he makes the wrong decision but currently he's still kind of staying on the right side of wrong but i know that it, he can't help it but it's it's that just keep trying to really if he doesn't have that person kind of reassuring him of kind of what is right and what is wrong and how to behave in the situation and and how or the other side of it to manage his anxiety so he does come into school so he doesn't become a non-attender because there's the other side of of this as well because there's the scnd kids that kind of behavior goes to the point of suspension or they go the other way and and they can't deal with it and they can't deal with the social situations and kind of don't come in and then you it's it's for a am a mother of an scnd child can you tell um my son's partially deaf but he's actually Kind of going through the process of being diagnosed with ADHD, so um, it's it's one of those. I just, I, I really, I want them to win, Um, but it's so much harder for them to do so.
3: It it is. So, other than Sam Thompson,
1: yeah. Well, he's proven that he can. (laughs) Yes.
3: Who else you know who's a, a winner who has ADHD?
1: I I'm I can't think. I know. I, I um, obviously there's the poet that's just died who's um, with the dyslexia. I think he's a great one because I'm dyslexic. Um, my English teacher is dyslexic, and we're we have a secret dyslexic society that when our kids go, oh, we can't do that because we're dyslexic. We're like we are too. Um, so we kind of try to really normalise SEND in our school. Um, but I can't think who else has got it that's done it so kind of publicly.
3: Cool. So, um, people who are who are listening, I'll, I'll narrow down the question because it's uh, who else on I'm a Celebrity this year has ADHD. Oh! Uh, if you if you're listening, feel free to shout your answer at the radio. <laughs> i tell you in a moment. But um, I'm I'm going to tell you through some other people as well first. And I suppose in a way I'm talking to your little gaggle. i uh, um, feel free to to play this to them if you want next time you see them. But um, ADHD. There are some differences, but my ambition for you is is no less than it is for anyone who doesn't have ADHD. And so uh, in terms of sport, Michael Phelps is one of the most decorated Olympians at yeah. times.
1: ADHD. I didn't know he had ADHD because I'm a swimmer. So he is my idol. I didn't know that.
3: So yeah. So isn't that cool? Your teacher, Your teacher's idol is a swimmer who has ADHD. And so if your teacher's your idol, her idol is someone who's <laughs> lots of similarities to you. And then in terms of, if we go into the media, the, the director of the Barbie film. Now, like I've not watched Diamond celebrity, I also haven't watched the Barbie film. But <laughs> Greta Gerwig has ADHD and she's made one of the most successful films of all time. That's pretty cool.
1: That actually makes Barbie make the movie make sense to me a little bit more now. It do, it is filmed like somebody with ADHD. It is, yeah. I'll, I'll have to take your
3: word for <laughs> it. I'm not committing to watching it. Uh, and then, because you know, as as teachers, sometimes when we think about role models, we end up with um, sports people and people in music or TV. But there's an MP uh, in Sheffield who's called Olivia Blake. And she's talked in Parliament about her ADHD. And so she's risen um, quite close to the top of politics and has ADHD and throws that little gaggle who I'm talking to. Or if you're a parent of a child with ADHD, I'm saying, my ambition for you is no different to that of any child or young person who doesn't have ADHD. And then another couple of examples, Sue Perkins, who does Bake Off. Yeah. And uh, there's a comedian called uh, Shappy um who is a comedian as well, who uh, does a lot of Radio 4 shows. So, if if you're a kid, you probably don't listen to yeah. <laughs> uh, And then finally, the answer to the uh, I'm a Celebrity question is Anne McParlane.
1: Oh, uh, I didn't know that.
3: Oh, that's that's a good pub quiz question, that one. Um, absolutely. Well, they're all decent pub quiz questions, to be honest. Um, so... Um, the 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 um, the diagnosis for Adam Partland came later in life, um, and so I would I would I think it's in the last five years that his diagnosis came. Um, but the, the the people who have named, I have actually checked because sometimes what you'll get is you'll get um, someone will say something online, they gets picked up by a slightly more credible person, and then all of a sudden there the, there's web pages that say oh. This person has ADHD, but when you actually drill down, there's no there's no interview with them talking about it. But with with those people, they've they've all said it, and you can watch the Olivia Olivia Blake ADHD clip where she's talking about it in Westminster Hall in the Houses of Com. Oh,
1: I'm going to go do that. (laughs) It's gone on my list. And obviously, obviously the kind of the last the last group um, that you kind of look through is obviously the free school meal students. and so, um, there are twenty twenty two point six percent of students are free school meals, but forty six point four percent of suspensions are from f- free school meal students. Um, it again, again, you don't want to add bias to this, but it is one of those that you think is this because they haven't got the home life where they're being sus- supported, parents are potentially working more so therefore they're not home as much so they're left to do their study by themselves and potentially they're not as motivated so therefore they're getting further behind so they struggle to access the learning so they misbehave or potentially it's it's difficult isn't it you want to read into it and you kind of have a a feel that might kind of link to most of it but potentially not um all of it um so so yes I, i think uh
3: all of those are valid questions. Uh, another question that we're valid is, um, uh, is there a, a link between uh, the number of words that a child has been exposed to by the age of five and their um, to the, the level of deprivation that they experience? And I think studies have, have shown that that typically, uh, children arrive at school having the extra to, to, many thousand fewer words uh, from our most disadvantaged homes compared to our, our most uh, advantaged homes. And so what we might find, you might find that that whilst there's going to be loads and loads of exceptions to what is typical, um, then you might find that, that some of the pupils actually star behind, and despite the best endeavors of, of their school, they're, they're still struggling and behind. Um, and and struggling with the work. And if you struggle with communication, um, it's harder to talk about what's going wrong and kind of let go of some of that emotion in the same way that I talked about earlier. I talked about teachers um, debriefing with each other um, about when they've had sassy girls. And then I think uh, it's important that kids can debrief as well because by them debriefing, we can get an insight into what was going on but also they can talk things through and process it so that they can then start to move on from from any difficult um, episodes they've had mm. and so i think there's a genuine question about about communication and, and the link between communication and deprivation and then just repeat again that 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 there is an element of typicality there and just because you're in one of the most disadvantaged homes doesn't necessarily mean that you've been exposed to a lot less Lot of few words um, so I think that's important. I think the other the other interesting thing about um, about the um, the suspension rate um, is the special schools um they they also the, the trend is downwards, but it's far more um, higgledy-piggledy um and I'd be really interested to know why it's far more higgledy-piggledy but I think what's interesting is there's a slight uplift in some of the uh, most advantaged um, families in terms of their children being excluded from special school. And I'm, I'm fascinated to know why that might be. Because the data's so higgledy-piggledy, it, it's it's hard to know. But I suppose I have a curiosity as to whether or not with some, uh, some um, pupils who present with more challenging behaviours, whether or not a bit like when we become quite, quite skilled at working with some of the boys with challenging behaviors, but when the girls come along, that's a little bit unusual. I wonder if because um, pupils from more disadvantaged backgrounds get excluded more, I wonder if we can become a bit more skilled at that. And so that when the pupils who, whose parents are doctors are presenting with challenging behaviors, whether or not we we find that a little bit more difficult to manage because it's it's out of our comfort zone a little bit more. And whether or not people, parents who who are holding down very important jobs, such as um, being a doctor in a hospital, whether or not maybe some of the pressures, the extra pressures they have from, um, I need to be in surgery and school are phoning me to talk to me about the, my child's behavior. I just need them to deal with it. Whether or not, some of those tensions might lead to a slight uptick in exclusions and suspensions. And I I, I don't know, I just think it's a really fascinating question to ask. Do, do you have any thoughts on it?
1: Um, on your section about kind of the exposure to words, we were talking about that on the review show, uh, I wanna say it was last week, that um, The Guardian wrote about the fact that almost a million children in the UK don't own a book. Um, which I find quite fascinating. But also I suppose they are still exposed to um, words orally through kind of social media because majority of them will have a phone. Um, But it is that kind of concept of of not having that kind of sit down and read aspect as much in kind of children's lives. I think it's quite fascinating. I think also that kind of in terms of Prior to COVID, there was that new kind of initiative of Culture Capital that was coming through, and this idea of kind of exposing kids with free school meals to more arts, more culture, more theatre, more music, and, and kind of having more kind of oracy and having those kind of conversations that potentially more the privilege would have. Like they would take their kids to the theatre, they would have discussions over the dinner table about what's happening in the news. And I feel like that was a really good initiative. And we know for a fact that it kind of reduces that kind of learning gap for free school meals and that's kind of tailed off along with the idea that also kind of exposure to after school activities that can equate to equivalent of a GCSE and also having that hobby, having that passion, having that outlet can also kind of be a really positive effect. But with the fundings being cut, I wonder whether that's going to have an effect on, on these kids where there aren't free options or there isn't free transport to be able to get them to the options that we're going to see kind of more of that in in that respect is I find that quite interesting. But I do find it interesting in terms of the um I did a show a few weeks ago um about high prior retainers and the fact that high prior retainers are the least likely to stay high prior retainers because when they go up to secondary school, as they progress on, they might have to pick up a, a job at the weekend. Or they, um, sorry, high prioritainers with free school meals. So they're more likely to kind of go and get a job at the weekend or have to potentially care for siblings or or, uh, do more around the house than potentially um, a non free school meal um, student. So I find it interesting that the HPAs drop off and kind of end up coming down, as well as, and the idea that the free school meal students kind of are more likely to get suspended. I feel like they're kind of quite similar. Kind of aspects in terms of how education goes for free school meal
3: children. So that's that's a fascinating insight. Uh, did, did you have a part time job when you were at secondary school?
1: Um, I did. I I grew up in a a a pub, a country inn. So we had like kind of thirteen bedrooms. So yeah, at weekends I was out of bed because somebody hadn't turned up and I had to go do the breakfast shift, and then I would make the bedrooms, and then I would do. The uh, lunch shift, and then I'd be behind reception. Um, but then I got my I got the holidays off, and my dad paid me well. So um, it's where I got my hard graft from, because uh, my mum was a teacher, and she taught and then did that after work and at weekends. Um, so I, I I don't know. I think sometimes you can have a job, and it gives you that work ethic. But I guess it does detract from the studies slightly.
3: You see that that your job is detracted from the. St-
1: um, I would probably, potentially, I also did lots, but I also did lots of other activities and I was exposed because I was very arty. I, I swam and I, I, di- I was exposed to a lot of cultural capital. So I feel like I was quite well-rounded and being dyslexic, I didn't do as, I, I think I did better than I would have done not being exposed to all those different aspects.
3: So so I, I did uh, I did work as well when I was at secondary school. Um, and, uh, I, I did milk rounds twice a week, um, and I'm not sure if, if we still use children on milk rounds or not, or if it's one of those things like chimney sweeps where we used to use it in the past, but we now frown upon it. Um, and, um, I, I, I was, um, asked by my parents to give it up. Um, I don't know if school had fed back, but, um, one of my memories of that time was, um, I don't know if you ever had that feeling where you're so tired that you want to fall asleep but you but you're trying to keep yourself awake uh yeah. in probably year 10 or year 11 maths and my year 10 year 11 maths teacher she was great uh, so it wasn't anything to do with her it was definitely um to do with the with the with the fatigue of being up just before 4 then doing 3 hours of uh, manual labour uh walking back across the valley uh, and then and then going to work and so I, I can see how work can most definitely have an impact on on success because I dare say there's there's, there's probably a few lessons where it just didn't take in as much as needed because of that that part time job, and I, and I do know of 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 one school local to me where where they they ask um ask some of their students to sign a commitment that they'll not work more than six hours a week um, because they they take a view that 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 the part-time work is if they do too much for it is incompatible with them being successful in their studies. And then if we tie that back to pupils who want free school meals, um I, I suppose I, I wonder whether that some of the choices that they're being asked to make are are perhaps whether they feel like economic luxuries um, for for that for that young person who um, who doesn't want to be left behind with with the amount of disposable income and being able to go go off, um, go out on a, on a Friday or Saturday night with the mates, um, what it's a difficult choice for them. Do, do I get a part time job or not? Um, and and I, I'm not sure I know the answer, um, unfortunately.
1: I also wonder I go throw this one out there that also, free preschool male students, I am, I'm being a, a bit kind of generalised but whether they have the chat. So I think of if you come from a wef- wealthy kind of home life where people are well-spoken, you would have probably had it drilled into you to be polite, how to speak to people, how to apologize, how to say thank you, how to kind of potentially get yourself out of a situation. Whereas free school meals might just instantly react, feel hard done by and not necessarily that kind of consider it. I know I certainly cry and drill it into my students when they're like, Oh, I didn't deserve that detention. I was like, well go speak to that teacher, apologize, and just say, I don't really quite understand how my actions led to that. Please could you explain it to me in more deeper so I can know not to kind of make the mistake next time, as opposed to going, No, they're wrong. That's not what I did. That you're out of order giving me that detention. And it's like is it that actually these preschool meal kids are getting in more detentions, more trouble because they don't know how to get themselves out of it, whereas the other kids actually know how to articulate themselves, can recognize that actually if if they're polite and apologize and and don't make the situation worse, that they can kind of get themselves out of that situation?
3: Um, so I think what you're describing is is a, a, a small proportion of pupils where conflict resolution strategies and and teaching them how to get around yes, that's the one. specifically teaching it as an intervention would benefit them in the in the medium and long term. Um and yes, I do think that that there are there are pupils who 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 need that that modelling that you're giving them uh, but also the pre-teaching before they get into the situation where they need to get that modelling and that coaching and that mentoring for you. Is it possible to pre teach them in the first place? which answer is yes yes it is
1: i can't believe that's blown by it is 7 30 so thank you so much for coming on my show and discussing this because i i love your threads and I, I just think they they make kind of big reports quite nice to read um so thank you so much for doing those and putting them on there and, and coming and chatting about it with me You're welcome. To catch up, thank you very much thank you for listening um, I'll be back uh, next week and I'll be chatting um, to a head teacher about her first two terms as head teacher. Um, and don't forget that you can come and join us at the BET conference, uh, which will be on at the end of January.
2: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit JohnCatBookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Bet UK is empowering the everyday wins. Cheeky grins. (laughs) Big conversations. Budding aspirations. Our goal? To make edtech accessible and teaching exceptional. Join the global education community on the 24th to the 26th of January 2024 as we make education better together. Ticket off your Christmas list today. Get your free ticket before the 13th of December deadline. Visit www.uk.betshow.com Ever with you?